Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. I'm off this week, but here's an episode from our archives to tide you over until I'm back. The Western Canadian Wheat Growers Association continues its effort to fight Ottawa's proposed fertilizer emission reduction policy. The federal government wants to reduce those emissions by 30 percent by the year 2030. Wheat Growers President Gunter Johum believes it could result in food shortages. He'll be with us to tell us more about the group's concerns. And over the last few years, there have been more cow-calf producers trying their hand at direct-to-consumer marketing. Mark Hyman and his wife Laura own Box H Farm near Gladmar, which is straight south of Regina, near the U.S. border. Box H Farm has 250 head of breeding stock plus replacements, and there is about 5,000 acres of tame grass and native prairie with a heavy emphasis on rotational grazing. Mark Heimer will be here to talk about selling his grass-fed beef direct to consumers. After the break, Gunter Johum. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Gunter Yohum is the president of the Western Canadian Wheat Growers Association and the group is continuing its fight Ottawa's proposed fertilizer emission reduction policy. There have been uh, comments made about this policy that it could ultimately result in food shortages. So, Gunter, do you believe that is the case? No, it, it won't result in food shortages in Canada. Come on, we, we know we're, uh, we're not at that point where Canada will be without food. But having said that, Canada is a major grain exporter. And so any kind of uh, policy that potentially could reduce uh, agriculture output in Canada uh, would reduce the uh, exports that are available to the world. And in in turn, it could cause food shortages elsewhere. And the, the people that would be most affected would be poor people. Poor people who can't afford uh, food in the first place. And having less supply worldwide uh, would just exacerbate that. I mean, look, look at the grain prices right now. They're, even with the harvest pressure on, grain prices are still at, you could say, at an all-time high. And that is not because we have an abundant amount of grain available in the world. And, and to come up with fertilizer policies, I know they're emission policies, emission reduction policies, but... We can get, uh, we can talk to scientists and, and to our politicians, and they disagree in uh, what is allowable as, or what is counted as um, emission reduction versus what is not counted. You know, some, some say a certain type of tillage uh, is okay, others is not. And other scientists will say, well, no, no, hang on, that, that doesn't really affect emissions that much. So when, when you don't have a clear signal, what's allowable and what isn't, as far as driving uh, fertilizer emission reduction, it becomes pretty problematic trying to 
get to that 30% reduction. And both the Prime Minister and our Ag Minister have said, uh, failure is not an option. We will achieve that 30% emission reduction. So that leads me to believe that, you know, if they can't get it through all, all the... Um, all the advancements that we've made at the farm gate uh, to get the last, you know, 30%, 40% to, to get to that official reduction number, they're just going to say, hey, you know what? Well, then we'll just cap how much fertilizer you can put on. Now that's, you know, that, that is not policy right now, but I can see that happening. This government has uh, has said one thing in the past and done another. They've said they wouldn't increase the carbon tax past $50 a ton, and yet here they committed to take it all the way to $170 a ton. So they they say a lot of things and then do exactly the opposite, and that is the worry. And that's why farmers need to be really, really concerned about this proposed emission reduction. Now, farmers in the Netherlands have been protesting with similar concerns. Why is this something that farmers should be concerned about here in Canada? They uh, are one of the major producers of all, all kinds of grains and vegetables. And uh, it, it, they are at the forefront of innovation in, in the Netherlands. And yet their government, uh, same as the Canadian government, they, they think they need to uh, mess with that um, advancement that the farmers over there have succeeded with. And, and, and for what purpose? So in the end, now they're going ahead and forcefully removing farmers and, and buying them out and taking actual production out of, off the market. So uh, the farmers were upset, they protested, and yet the government is not listening to them. Uh, they're forging ahead with forcefully uh, removing uh, production off the market. Is that the way to do it? And, and to what end? Like seriously, has anybody actually looked seriously uh, how much the actual act of farming is uh, is towards uh, climate change. You know, the actual act of farming. Farmers have continuously be at the forefront to be efficient and uh, the most efficient. Otherwise, we wouldn't still be in in business. And uh, you know, the the wheat growers are lobbying for uh, the emissions should be. Uh, tied to production, so it it it, it should uh, focus on reducing the emission it takes to produce a bushel or a ton of grain, as opposed as opposed to an arbitrary cap on emissions from fertilizers. That would be the right approach, you know. If if we say, well, it takes so much fertilizer or the emissions on the on what you grow in the field. And uh, can other countries match that? If we go that route, I think farmers would uh, accept that a lot more. 
How do you see this policy impacting agricultural exports, which the government actually wants to see increased by 55% by the year 2025? So what is the uh, impact, in your opinion? Well, it makes it extremely difficult. You know, it... um uh, the, the major driver for yield and production, of course, is the amount of water available. And, and that is up to Mother Nature. Um, the second biggest driver is fertilizer. And if you, if you put any kind of cap on uh, fertilizer use, uh, appropriate fertilizer use, and, and you limit that in any way, um, you're not going to achieve those lofty goals. It, it just won't happen. So what can farmers do to share their thoughts about this policy? Join the wheat growers, become a member, because uh, uh, every little vote counts. Uh, we're continuously working at this. We have been since it was first proposed in the spring of 2020, and, um, you know, uh, the government likes to see uh, or, or they listen if there is a lot of numbers behind the ask. So, yes, we have a lot of members, but we always are looking for more. Um, step, out, step up, buy a membership, reach out to us, contact us in any way, shape and form, uh, sign our petitions. Uh, every little bit helps. Gunter Yohum is the president of the Western Canadian Wheat Growers. After the break, we'll hear from rancher Mike Heimer, who will discuss selling his grass-fed beef direct to consumers. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Over the last several years, we have seen a lot more cow-calf producers try their hand at direct-to-consumer marketing. I'm speaking with Mark Heimer. Uh, he and his wife own Box X Farm in Saskatchewan. And uh, Mark, you've taken the step to direct-to-consumer marketing. So what is the mix of uh, direct as opposed to sending those animals to the stockyards? We do still sell the majority of our calves through the stockyards. We just don't have the market for, for that many animals quite yet. So most of our steers will go through the, the stockyard, and then we, uh, what we do for our, our direct-marketed ones is we, uh, we pull the animals that don't breed so that, that kind of fall out of our breeding program, and uh, we move them into our, our grass-finished products. So we treat them almost identically, whether they're going to be a part of the herd for 10 years or whether they're going to be going into somebody's deep freeze. They, they kind of get the same treatment. So who are your consumers? Uh, commercial? Is it individuals or is it a little bit of both? It's a combination of both. We started primarily direct marketing to consumers. So that's probably the lion's share of our beef will go that direction. But since then, I've also uh, had some good relationships and, and now started marketing to some, some grocery stores that want to carry some uh, grass-fed products. And uh, as well as we also uh, market to a few restaurants that are interested in grass-fed and also just in, in, a, in a local product. Doing this on your own, how do you determine a price? So does it change weekly or do you monitor markets? How do you go about it? We kind of decided that 
part of the the benefit of, of going this direct route is to be able to step away from the, the commodity system. So we know what it costs us to raise this animal. We know what we need to get out of it to, to maintain a, a profit and uh, to raise them in a way that we're happy with, where they're treated well and, and we get compensated for it. So that's how we set the prices that way. And then we just do our very best to make sure that every time that we're doing anything where we add value or that any of the costs that we incur to get the beef to the consumer, that we, we add that on. And uh, it tends to be reasonably comparable to a kind of a higher end or a, a premium beef product that they'd see in the, in the grocery stores. But uh, it's not something that we were prepared for when we got started in this. It's Pricing meat is, is complicated. Well, it must be very frustrating as a beef producer walking into a grocery store and seeing what's being charged for beef compared to what goes into your pocket. So has that led more producers to do what you're doing, um, taking that step towards direct marketing? I do think that's that's probably where a lot of people get started. Um, we actually kind of got started down this road just because we had been rotationally grazing and we spent a lot of time and focused on the management of the land and trying to trying to really fine-tune a real healthy ranch a real healthy ecosystem as far as our farm went and uh and doing a good job of raising the cattle to the best of our ability as far as as husbandry and it was frustrating just having our end product dumped into the market with everyone else many of which do fantastic jobs as well some producers don't, and uh, it's it's not something that uh, the end consumer can differentiate between. They just get beef at the end of the day. So that's that's kind of what led us down that path. But there is definitely a uh, a disconnect between what producers are paid for and what consumers are having to pay. And I I don't know. I'm hopeful that there is no ability for the market to be saturated that local producers can kind of fine-tune their skills as far as as raising these animals and that we can produce such a high-quality off-farm product that it becomes the norm to do it that way. That might be a little idealistic. Space in those uh, regional abattoirs is a concern, I'm sure, for some. Hearing that sometimes you have to book a year in advance, uh, what is your situation as far as getting that meat processed? Yes, that is definitely a fair point. We're fortunate to be near uh, um, smaller by processor standards, but larger compared to some of the smaller abattoirs. So we've got a kind of an unfair advantage there, but that is definitely processing is is uh, is is definitely a choke point when it comes to comes to that sort of thing. Thank you, Mark. Mark Heimer and his wife, Laura, own a ranch near Gladmar, which is straight south of Regina near the U.S. border. This is the Agriculture News and Review for the week of October 17, 2022. The Alberta harvest wrapped up well ahead of the five-year average. Dry weather and normal fall temperatures helped to speed up that process. Alberta ended up with sufficient livestock feed supplies for the coming winter after a decent amount of rain in June. And a final crop report from the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture had harvest virtually complete. Crops extension specialist Matt Struthers said there was still some flax to combine and later maturing canola left to pick up. 
He said crop yields varied throughout the province depending on where it rained. But quality ratings for all crops were very good, falling in the top two grades for each respective crop. Western grain elevator levels hit 85% capacity as farmers hope this year's harvest will make up for last year's drought-stricken crop. Wade Sobkovich with the Western Grain Elevator Association said the high levels are starting to lead to fears of grain delivery delays. He said railways are bringing rail cars back online after being in storage last season, but low staffing levels are not keeping up with demand for this year's harvest. The House of Commons Agriculture Committee is reviewing Bill C-234, the private member's bill that would exempt fuel use for barn heating and grain drying from the federal government's carbon tax. The bill received strong support at second reading in the House of Commons back in May with the Conservatives, NDP, Bloc, Greens and one Liberal Member of Parliament voting in favour. The Ag Committee heard from witnesses taking into account varying perspectives on why there should be an exemption, especially when there are no scalable alternatives to propane or natural gas for barns and grain drying. The canola performance trials carried out across the prairies are into their final year. The program was created to provide canola growers with impartial data comparing different canola varieties. The program will be disbanded following the release of this year's harvest data. A letter signed by the executive directors of the three provincial canola organizations said it determined the program was no longer meeting the needs of canola growers in its current format. Major repairs underway at the rail line to Churchill, Manitoba, but there was no word on when grain movement might resume. The last shipment of grain to Churchill occurred in 2016, just prior to flooding that caused significant damage at main points on the rail line. The Arctic Gateway Group, which is responsible for the port and Hudson Bay Rail Line, is a consortium of 29 Indigenous and 12 non-Indigenous communities, mostly in northern Manitoba. The National Farmers Union called for the firing of the president of the Canadian Food Inspection Agency. The NFU said Radio Canada had shown a summary of an important regulatory proposal via a document that was produced on a computer owned by CropLife Canada. The NFU said the improper collaboration between CFIA and CropLife has shaken public confidence in the Food Inspection Agency's ability to protect the public interest. Canadian pork and poultry packer announced major layoffs. Olimel will eliminate 177 management positions. While 120 positions became open in recent months, 57 current employees were given layoff notices, primarily in Quebec. Olimel President and CEO Yannick Gervais said the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic and labour shortages, market and supply chain disruptions, raw material price inflation and an uncertain global economic landscape were all factors. The company's combined slaughter capacity in Canada sits at about 185,000 hogs and 2.4 million birds per week. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarlane for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Pattison Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.